You are listening to the most comprehensive source for news and views about today's unions. This is LaborUnionNews.com's Labor Relations Radio and your host, Peter List. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Hey, thanks for turning on and tuning in to Labor Relations Radio. So this episode of Labor Relations Radio is going to be a bit shorter than some of our other episodes in that we are going to talk about labor law and specifically a recent decision that just came out two days ago from the National Labor Relations Board called the Atlanta Opera Case. Now, for those of you listeners who have been paying attention to the war on the gig economy or the war on independent contractors, if you will, the Atlanta Opera case is just one battleground in a myriad of battlegrounds, and it's been out there languishing in limbo for over a year while the NLRB has been deliberating on it. So two days ago, they came out with their decision, and it was kind of as expected. But because this decision impacts employers who utilize independent contractors, as well as the independent contractors themselves, I thought it would be a good idea to have a labor attorney weigh in on the decision's impact and what it means. So joining me today is Jim Peretti, and he is a labor attorney with the law firm Littler Mendelssohn, which specializes in labor law and specifically under the National Labor Relations Act. So here's Jim Peretti. You are listening to Labor Relations Radio. Well, Jim Peretti, welcome to Labor Relations Radio. And I should start out by saying that you got volunteered for this task, right? Uh, always, always the way. I'm happy, uh, happy to help out my uh, colleague, Michael Latino, who's been uh, a lead on this issue as well, as well as my colleague, Maury Baskin. Both are uh, unavailable today, so I'm, you, you got me. <laughs> yeah, well, I appreciate you coming on. The um, Atlanta Opera case, so some people have been tracking it, not a lot, but it it seems to have garnered a bit of attention because it deals with the independent contractors as it relates to unionization and or perhaps uh, protected concerted activity under the National Labor Relations Act. So I have a bunch of questions, but one of the issues that was put out through the NLRB's press release is that it's a return to the prior standards. So could you explain, A, I guess, who this applies to, and then B, why does it go back and forth like a pendulum? Well, yeah, this is, I mean, this one is a saga, and it'll be interesting because I think, you know, I would love to, as much as I'm not crazy about yesterday's decision, I would love to say that yesterday marks the end of the saga. Yesterday, assuredly, or Tuesday when the decision came down, Tuesday assuredly does not mark the end of the saga. Um, This is going to continue. I predict this case will be appealed um, to the D.C. Circuit Court. Ultimately, I think one of these cases is going to make it to the Supreme Court. Um, But this starts back in 2007 when, in connection with some home delivery drivers, uh, the National Labor Relations Board says, we find these people to be employees, not con- notwithstanding that you've hired them as contractors, we consider them to be employees. And if you're an employee, that means, as you said, you can form a union, you can join a union, um, you have you know, Section 7 rights that are protected, although even non-union members have Section 7 rights in some instances. Uh, but so it starts in 2000, 2007. They say, we think these drivers, these contractor drivers, are in fact employees. 
two years later, the District Court of uh, Circuit Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia says, no, we think, the, yeah, and let me back up. The board in 2007 says, this is the standard, and under the standard, we the standard is X, and we think these people are employees. 2009, the D.C. Circuit comes along and says, actually, the standard is Y, and under the Y standard, these people are not employees, they are independent contractors. Great, says the NLRB. A couple years later, cut to 2014, again, with delivery drivers, same company, uh, the board says, yeah, we really think the standard should be X, and we think under the standard X, these, are, these drivers are employees. District Court of Appeals says again, yeah, maybe you didn't read it the first time. The standard is Y, and applying the Y standard, which in this case was it was kind of classic because it was same company, same drivers. I mean, it was literally you know, trying to go for a second bite at the apple. But the district court says, nope, the standard is Y. These people are contractors, not employees. We're vacating your decision. Move on. 2019, the Trump administration is in under the Trump board, they come out with a decision called Super uh, Super Shuttle. Uh, and the Super Shuttle decision said, you know what? We finally got the message. We are going to take the standard that the D.C. Court of Appeals, which is really, by anybody's measure, the second most powerful court in the country. It's just beneath the Supreme. Uh, we are going to adopt the standard that the D.C. Court of Appeals has now told us twice should be the proper standard. And they went about and did that in the Super Shuttle case. Well... Atlanta Opera comes along, uh, and this one had to do with makeup artists and uh, stylists working for an opera company, and obviously in Atlanta. Uh, and they issued their decision on Tuesday. And believe it or not, the board says, yeah, you know, X, Y, X, we really, really, really think the standard is X, notwithstanding that they've now twice been told by the D.C. Circuit Court that's not the standard. They've had their decision not even just not enforced, but vacated twice, which is, you know, fairly significant, um, you know, the board says, no, we, upon looking at it, we, we still believe this is the right standard. So I say, you know, this is headed back to the appeals court. And if I were an appeals court judge, particularly one, if I'm in the District of Columbia Circuit, or maybe even was on those cases, you got to start to say, all right, what, what, what part of no don't you understand? This is what the standard is. Um, and really what it turns on is, whether you're making a broader or a narrower definition of employee uh, or and conversely a, a narrower or broader definition of independent contractor you know the general counsel of the board uh woman named Jennifer Brutzo who is you know I have great respect for her and she's remarkably transparent and, and forthright she's made no secret of sort of where she wants the law to go uh you know right after she took office she said one of the things I want to do in my tenure is to get the board to reverse super say uh super shuttle and restore the old independent contractor standard. So we are now back to the standard that was established. It was, it was applied in 2007 in that first case, but really it was in 2014 that the board really it, it, it explicated and got into detail as to what they thought the proper standard was. The court disagreed, but what super what yesterday's case or Tuesday's case Atlanta Opera stands for is the proposition that Super, uh, super Shuttle has been overruled, and they're expressly restoring the 2014 standard uh, for who's a contractor and who's an employee. So let me ask you a question. Has the makeup of the court, the D.C. Circuit, changed since 2014? You know, I should know the answer to that. I, it, like, I'm sure it has some, but not sufficiently. To not, I, do, I do not think anyone would suggest that it is 
so sufficiently changed that it shifted from, you know, radically shifted ideology. And if it has, it has probably gotten more conservative rather than more, you know, less conservative. Uh, but also, at some point, it's also, you know, sort of starry decisis. And when the district court twice says this is what the standard is, you know, I, I would be surprised for a panel of the court to, uh, rather the appeals court, I would be surprised for a panel to come along and say, nope, the last two, the last two times they came to court here are those judges got it wrong. We three judges get it right, and and we're going to do something different. So, but, you know, I'm sure there are some new judges on the bench who weren't there in twenty four in 2017 when that case was decided. Uh, but I don't think it's enough to significantly say, okay, it's going to shift, you know, the the balance, uh, particularly to you know that the case, that the, that we would expect the case to come out significantly differently. Okay, so let me ask you a few questions, kind of basic. This sure. applies to only those employers slash employees, independent contractors that would fall under the National Labor Relations Act, not, for example, the RLA Railway Labor Act, or not. And, and and this does not um, this does not impact necessarily how people are currently doing business until as and if a union were to either try to unionize them or try to perhaps accrete them or suck them into an existing bargaining unit, right? Correct. That's that's correct. And that's what we saw down in Atlanta Opera. Some of these, uh, uh, one of those hairstylists or makeup artists who said, we want to, you know, we want to organize and form. Um, they went through the exercise, but the question, the threshold question was, you know, because the opera company engaged them as contractors. They, you know, held themselves out to be contractors. They felt that they were. Uh, but really that was the threshold question for the board is, are these individuals, the makeup artists, the stylists, are they genuine independent contractors or by virtue of, you know, a 10-factor test where they went through, you know, factor by factor, uh, are these folks really employees such that they would be able to, yes, join, form a union, join a union, be accreted into a union, be in the bargaining unit? And obviously this only applies to non, you know, non-supervisory employees when they are employees. So if it was for whatever reason you had a supervisor who was a contract. Supervisors are also excluded from the coverage of the National Labor Relations Act. Right. So another kind of related question. Um, this is not part of the Department of Labor. No. And it, it is so, therefore, this would not be part of the DOL's proposed six-part rule that they're supposed to be coming out with, right? Correct. To, to give it a little bit more context, last fall, the Department of Labor. So now the National Labor Relations Board is labor relations, union, Section 7 rights, things of that sort. Uh, the Department of Labor is Wage and Hour, uh, OSHA, Fair, Standard, Fair Labor Standards Act. So back in the fall of last year, the department proposed uh, a new regulation on independent contractor status under federal wage and hour law, under that Fair Labor Standards Act. Uh, that was open for public comment. The comment period closed in December. <clears throat> the department is now reviewing the you know thousands and thousands of comments that it received with the expectation that I think they most recently on their agenda said it would be August of this year. I suspect that might be ambitious. But they will come out with another regulation, with a regulation that says this is how we view, this is the test we use for determining whether someone's an employee under that federal wage and hour law. I will tell you, the, the Department of Labor has proposed a six or maybe a seven factor test with you know additional factors as necessary. The standard adopted by the board in Atlanta Opera is a 10 factor test. 
it's uh, there's lots of different permutations, but very often they you know tend to turn around sort of the same sorts of issues. Who controls the terms and conditions of work? Um, how how significant is the control? Uh, those are the things these tests tend to look at. Is someone generally genuinely in business for themselves, or are they just being you know? kept on employed in a position, well, I gave them a 1099, so that makes them a contractor. Uh, it really is, it's a little bit more of looking at the realities of the situation and assessing against, as I said, the, the test that came out in uh, in Atlanta Opera now, it's a 10-factor test. You know, those factors are not unique. I suspect the Department of Labor's rule will look similar. It may be, there's maybe a six or seven-factor test, but ultimately, the inquiry is often turning on very much sort of the same issues. So who's controlling the work? Um, what's your ability to profit or loss? Uh, and you know, not to go on to too far a uh, 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 tangent, but that Department of Labor regulation also <clears throat> has a you know storied history, which is you know for many 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 years there was no regulation, there was some sort of sub-regulatory guidance from the department. But generally speaking, you had to look to the laws of the you know the circuit court decisions in the various circuits to say, okay, this is how these factors are applied here. These are the factors that are more important there. So during the Trump administration, uh, the Department of Labor, for the first time by way of notice and comment rulemaking, proposed and ultimately promulgated a final regulation saying this is what the standard is under the Fair Labor Standards Act. This is how we determine whether someone's an employee or a contractor. Uh, and I think that was good. It was a very, I think it was a good standard. I made things clearer for folks. You weren't trying to guess depending on where you were as to how the court might look at it. Uh, you know, sort of said there are two factors that are most important. If they both tip in the same direction, you're a contractor. If they both tip towards employee, you're an employee. And then there were sort of some sub-factors that were, if, if it were sort of on the on the margins, you might say, okay, we'll look to this and look to that. So that's the Trump regulation. That goes, that's promulgated in January of 2021, right, uh, mm. prior to the inauguration. The new administration comes in, the Biden administration comes in and says, okay, it had not yet become effective. It was promulgated in January of 21 with an effective date of I want to say like March 8th of 2021. Well, the new administration comes in, they immediately put a hold on things and say, no, we're, you know, we are going to put a hold on this regulation. We're proposing to delay its effective date. They propose that, they get comments on it, not surprisingly, you know, very abbreviated comment period. They end up saying, yes, we are going to delay the effective date. And actually now we're going to accept comments and should we just re repeal the reg in its entirety or rescind it? Not surprisingly, they get the comments and say, yeah, we've decided we're going to rescind this regulation. So, that was uh, what the Biden administration did. And in fact, uh, I'm a little closer to this one because it was my law firm, Littler, that on behalf of a, a number of trade associations brought a suit down in Texas that said, you know, an administration is entitled to change their mind. You know, you can have a different, you obviously you can have different policies than your predecessor, but you can't just pull it out of the air. Um, you have to justify, if you're making decisions, if you're reversing course on things, you have to justify why you've done that. And you have to satisfy certain procedural requirements under the Administrative Procedure Act, which we contended that the department failed to do. To make a very long story short, the district court judge agreed with us, held that the Trump-era regulation had was improperly invalidated, so it was still in effect and had been in effect since March 8th. It is still in effect as of this date, subject to the fact that there is a pending rule coming and there will be a new final rule coming out of the Biden administration, which you know, I expect, again, as with just about any of these major employment regulations, is going to be subject to challenge. So let me, so we've we kind of covered, and I want to come back to Atlanta Opera, we've covered the NLRB, the DOL, and, and this kind of ties in. 
One of the big concerns with a lot of freelancers out there is the ABC test that is the basis of California's AB5 and then as well part of the PRO Act. And it's that Part B that has a tendency to, um, and I'm quoting an article I read, it's the buzzsaw. Part B is the buzzsaw that catches a lot of the uh, independent contractors or freelancers up and makes them employees. So that's that's kind of happening at the state level. It's the PRO Act seems to be dead at least until next year, depending on the outcome of the election, et cetera. Nobody Does, told nobody told Bernie Sanders because they're marking it up in I think ten days. In in it's moving through the Senate committee. The PRO Act is I think in I want to say ten days. Something like that. I can look and tell you specifically, but so yeah, it's, I mean, well, in theory, it shouldn't pass the House, right? So, uh, well, it certainly it, it shouldn't pass the House. I don't think it would pass the Senate. I mean, uh, it takes sixty votes to pass a bill like that in the Senate. Uh, right. Fifty-one Democrats, forty-nine Republicans. I do not see a set of facts where this thing would ever move off, you know, past the Senate floor. Uh, but that said, the the Health Committee is marking it up. Chairman Sanders, he's going to do that, along with a few other, you know, high-profile employee-friendly, t- you know, high-profile ticket items uh, that they're going to be marking up shortly. To at least, you know, it would be ready to go to the Senate floor if if the Senate Majority Leader wanted to take it there. I do not think they will. I think, particularly as we get closer and closer to an election season, it is. If you know this bill won't pass, I think to put some of your vulnerable or your more moderate members in the position of having to vote for something to say they voted for it when it's not going to pass, it's it's sort of a fruitless exercise. So at least for time being, I don't have much fear of the PRO Act um, being enacted as it is. We can talk about what the board is doing separate and apart from the PRO Act in terms of where they're going on some of this stuff. Uh, but your point is well taken about state law. California adopted AB5. That adopted a very, very stringent test for who can be an independent contractor and who's an employee. Um, That's been subject to numerous challenges. Uh, Prop 22 was uh, involved, which had to do with certain, you know, drivers and delivery, you know, the transportation network companies, delivery network companies. Uh, But what we've talked about at the NLRB and at the DOL is, yeah, that's on the federal level. But each state under its own state wage and hour law, many states, I should say, some of them just follow the federal, but a, a lot of states don't and have their own narrower uh, interpretation of who is great for in California for purpose, say, of wage and hour law. Um, they have a very, very, very narrow standard of who can qualify as uh, a contractor rather than an employee. And if you're an employee, you're subject to think minimum wage, overtime, all the other, all the other things. Well, so the reason I ask that is there's you have different silos. There's some spillover with a few, but. Yeah. Is there anything in the Atlanta Opera's new criterion that would be similar to the ABC test, like the B part specifically? Is well, that- I think the closest you get in both instances, and this is subject in the you know potentially in the DOL regulation too that's pending. Um, part of the equation is usually is someone integral to the operation of the business. So in California, the B prong I think says. You know, if 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 you are in the same business as your employer, you're going to be an you you are going right. to be an employee. You are not a contractor. It's to differentiate between say, okay, I'm a baking, I'm a bakery, I'm a bakery. My my plumbing breaks. I engage a, a contractor to come and fix the plumbing. I'm not in the business of fixing plumbing. I'm not a plumber. I'm a baker. He passes the B test. The difference is when I say, okay, I'm going to bring in cake decorators. 
and I want fancy, you know, people to do the really fancy high-end wedding cakes, but I'm going to engage them on a contract basis. They're not going to be my employees. You know, that starts to look a lot, you know, under California law, they say, well, you're in the same, uh, cake decorators in the same line of business as a high-end bakery, both decorating and selling high-end cakes. I think it would be very difficult, depending on the facts, to say under California state law that that person is a contractor and not an employee. Well, yeah, one of the uh, analogies that that somebody shared with me is the wedding photographer. So I have a wedding photography business and I accidentally double book. And as a result of that, I need to go get my buddy who's also a wedding photographer as an independent contractor. And it could be, you know, two, three days, bridal shower, whatever, but that, that could put that wedding photographer or the subcontractor into the category of an employee. Yeah, it's it's it is it is certainly possible. I think you know we we have to dive into the facts on that in terms of is that first photographer going to tell the second photographer here's exactly what you have to do here are the pictures you have to take. Um, you know, I I think that's it's maybe a little bit more attenuated when you can make an argument that it's a, you know a pure business to business transaction. But you're right, it's it's not at all clear on its face that you know the wrong set of facts wouldn't mean that that second photographer who I bring in to cut, you know, to help me out um, ends up being my employee, not my contractor. Yeah. So now that's the ABC slash AB five type of model. However, does that also, would a situation like that perhaps arise under the Atlanta opera case? I'm sorry. I, I, you, I repeat the question again. I just, I, so that would be, that would be the AB five slash ABC test model, sure. but would something like that perhaps happen under the Atlanta opera case? It is. Yes. It is a factor that they will look at. And, you know, it's one of that, I think I mentioned a 10 factor test often, you know, how integral you are to the employer's business. What is the sort of work you're doing? It is definitely part of the equation. The difference being in California, it's a three part test. And if you fail any one of the three prongs, you're an employee, you know, California is one strike you're out. The Atlanta Opera, and as well as the D- Department of Labor regulation, which also speaks about, you know, whether someone is an integral part of the employer's business, um, both of those would say, okay, that maybe that factor cuts in favor of being an employee, not a contractor, but there may be enough other factors that, you know, that weigh in the other directions that, yes, even if you are integral to the business, you may be a, a contractor if all the other factors work, you know, tip in the same way. But, for example, in Atlantic Opera, Atlanta Opera, they said these are makeup artists, the they are the, the opera company has never put up a production without using makeup artists and stylists and other people. They are integral to the operation and mounting of any show. They are part of you know that factor cuts in in favor of them being employees and not contractors. Okay, so um, now again, I'm, this is it sounds like more of those death by a thousand cuts. This is just one of many different battlefronts. Correct. Right. Um, but for those freelancers who are opposed to getting dragged into this, it's not the end of the world, except perhaps if you do freelance work for a, a an entity or a company or whomever that is either unionized or could be unionized, right? Yeah, that's. I think that's on the Atlanta Opera. That's really what the issue is: is that are you, you know, are you potentially able to, you know brought into a union or forced to join a union as a, you know, as a condition of employment or pay, you know, pay some sort of, you know, free rider fee, uh, you know, the, the, the dues or something. But unlike the way, you know, the Department of Labor is going to be a wage and hour rule, this one for freelancers really is more about would you, 
you know, could you organize if you wanted to organize? Um, or ultimately, if, if someone wanted to organize you, do you end up getting, you know, pull, pulled into that unit? Yeah. Now, this could have a big impact for Uber, Lyft, and, you know, theoretically, any other app-based Company, oh yeah, right? I mean lots, lots and lo- I mean lots and lots of gig companies, lots and lots of gig companies. Whether they're the driving, you know, the driver companies, the shopping companies, dog walkers. I mean, if you know the ability for an employer to say, "Hey, we're not employing these folks; we are simply providing the platform by which they connect to customers who want to use their services." You know, that's the argument you'll you'll see some of these folks make, and then you'll be looking at that in the context of you know what are the other what are the other you know, how do the other factors cut? But for example, in California, because there was such a great concern, there was, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars sent on, on Proposition 22 to sort of carve out certain gig you know, gig workers uh, from that test and sort of put them in a separate category. And that's, you know, that's proceeding apace. Well, so that kind of begs another question. As and if, say, Atlanta Opera becomes the law of the land, which currently it is until it goes to appeal, right? Sure. Um, does that negate a prop 22 because of federal law supersedes state law i may have just gone down a rabbit hole but it's no it's 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 a it's a good rabbit hole down which to go for purposes of forming and joining a union would we say uh, i mean prop 22 carves those folks out i i I would haven't really given you know significant thought to that but it is certainly i I imagine something that they would try to say okay california state law is california state law but for purposes of federal union organizing law um this is what you know this is what the atlanta the atlanta opera standard is and that's the one that should be applied because that is what's applicable in that context i mean i certainly think folks would make a preemption argument that in this instance for purposes of federal labor law, you know, labor relations law, that's the federal standard. What California does under state law is not really, not really relevant. So that Prop 22 carved these folks out and said they are, you know, independent contractors if they meet A, B, and C. I, I think there's still an argument that certainly union, or we expect labor would make to say no. We under the standard, we think, um, we think that these folks should be able to form a union. Right. Okay, I, I'm cognizant of your time, and I I know we had about a half hour. Sure. So um, if you've got to jump, I understand that. So I I guess I just wanted to kind of get into a little bit more in the weeds with regard to the Atlanta Opera case, because I know there's a lot of folks paying attention to all of this, especially yeah. freelancers. Um, but again, it's not one of those ones, unless you're doing work, hypothetically, if you're a writer for Vox or one of the you know, news outlets and you're doing freelance work and they happen to get unionized, you could wind up being included on that. Correct. So in any case, well, so is there a timeline in terms of how long um, the employer, I guess, Atlanta opera in this case would appeal if they're going to appeal, assuming they're going to appeal. It's there's not a, a hard and fast deadline. Obviously, you need to file a notice of appeal in certain time. It also depends on whether the board moves for enforcement of its order. Does the opera company say no? We're going to bring it to district court, uh, to the circuit court, to to get the case struck down. I expect if I if my civil procedure, you know, if my 25 years ago civil procedure class is still in, in fresh in my mind. It's you know they might have 60 days just to file a notice as we intend to appeal. After that, there's obviously briefing, um, and it's can take. A significant amount of time. By way of you know example, the board on this you know issued its standard in 2014. 
it was appealed and the circuit court didn't reach a decision until 2017. So it's, it's you know, it's a multi-year, it can be a multi-year process, particularly if it's, you know, complicated and chewy stuff as this would be. Um, so in the interim, that is the board's law, uh, you know, and employers have to at least be, co you know, cognizant of it and mindful of it. And, you know, what I've advised folks is to take a very good look at how they're, you know, structuring their relationships with folks and measure them against these 10 factors and, you know, who sets the hours, who sets the time, how much control, you know, what it does the individual have the opportunity to make, you know, profit or loss depending on how effectively they work. And, you know, the answer to, well, they can always work more and make more. That's probably not the answer, but an efficient carpenter is going to do better than an inefficient carpenter and can, you know, a higher profit margin. That to me starts to sound like entrepreneurial opportunity. Right. So one, one last question. I know you've got a sure. job. Um, as an if Atlanta opera, does not appeal the decision. Say they're an opera company, they're not making much money because of COVID and all that sort of stuff. Um, then in order for it to actually get appealed or the standard to get appealed, it's got to be a totally different case, right? Yeah, another, right, another another set of facts would have to, you know, we'd have to see another situation where someone tried to organize. Employer says, no, we think these are contractors. And we go, you know, start the whole process of, uh, you know, under the NLRB of determining, you know, issue a complaint and say these people should be allowed to organize. We think they're employees, not contractors. Yeah, we'd basically be starting from square one. So, you know, recognizing nothing, is, you know, nothing is free in this world. Um, I am hopeful that the opera company decides to, you know, pursue an appeal here because I think they've got, you know, a very solid one. Uh, you know, there's no guarantees in this world, but I, I would hope that they do. Um, if anyone's within the sound of my voice and wants to help them do so, please feel free. <laughs> Pro uh, bono. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, nothing for free. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think this also we will see. Now the question will become if the at some point the administration is going to change, they'll be, you know, they'll shift from Democrat, Republican. It might be the next election. It might be two elections down the road. You know, are we then going to just see the Republican board come in and say, nope, we are going back to what the Trump board did, which is undoing what the Obama board did, which, you know, we're undoing the Biden board, which undid the Trump board, which undid the Obama board. And that's just not good as a matter of, you know, in my mind, as a matter of public policy, it is not, you know, A, it's impossible for employers and others to sort of structure their long-term business plans if you don't know, you know, that the standard you're using now in two years might be completely the, completely the opposite. Uh, based on the results of an election. Uh, and I also just don't think it's particularly good for sort of the credibility of the system. I mean, if there is a pro, you know, nothing in this world is black and white, but if there is a proper answer under the law, if this is where the law is intended, intended to mean, intended to go, I don't think it suits anybody's, you know, neither side is well served by seeing, well, when we're in control, it's black, and when you're in control, it's white. So, you know, to, to me, there's got to right. be a better way. Well, I'm guessing I'm a little bit longer in the tooth than you are. Um, but, you know, I remember going back to the Reagan era and, you know, that pendulum, which I kind of started out with, pendulum swings a lot. Yeah. Every four years, perhaps eight years, it goes from left to right to right to left. And it is interesting um, in that I've been through a number of these pendulum swings that we're seeing this probably swing farther than I that I've seen in the last forty years. Yeah, I, so. I think I think that's I think that's accurate. And back in 2016, my firm we did an analysis of during the Obama administration, 
how many years of precedent the Obama uh, NLRB overturned. And it was something, Latino might caught my boss can rattle off the number, but it was something like 4,600 years of precedent right. were overturned. I remember that. By the, yeah, by the Obama administration. Then the Trumps came in and, you know, flipped a lot of it back. Now the Bidens are flipping. I agree with you. I think the pendulum is swinging further and further on each step. Uh, you know, and there was a time... You know, even in, in both of our, you know, when we were both in our prime, we'd say, okay, generally speaking, there was consensus on a lot of these things, and not every change of administration meant the policy was going to do a 180. I think we're seeing more and more of that, and, you know, I don't know that it's to anybody's good, but yeah. I would absolutely agree that the, the shifts have been more and deeper, particularly yeah. in this area where, you know, maybe start finish where I started, which is to say, you know, the general counsel of the board who's probably the most powerful individual on this stuff, you know, more than any single board member, because she's the one who chooses the complaints to bring. She's the one who makes the arguments to the board. Uh, You know, she's been very, very upfront about these are the things I want to see changed. Um, The first memorandum, you know, she issued out of the box and she's making good on those promises for better or for worse. Yeah. That, that August, 2021 memo that she issued was, um, it's kind of telling. And the, the the playbook. Yep. So, well, Jim Peretti, thank you for coming on Labor Relations Radio, and, and I'm going to thank Michael for volunteering you uh, at short notice. I appreciate always, it. Always a pleasure. Good to talk to you. Look forward to talking again. And, you know, stay tuned. Like I said, I, I, I predict the D.C. Circuit has not yet had its last word on this. So stay tuned, and maybe, you know, maybe next year, maybe after that, we'll be talking about how we're, we're back. Uh, the pong is pinged, and we're back from X to Y again. But we'll, well it sounds find like. It it sounds like fairly soon we'll know whether or not Atlanta Opera is going to appeal it. So yeah, I think that's at some point in the you know not too distant future they have to at least indicate are we going to go forward with the appeal. It's not until they file the papers at Eurosi what the basis is, but yeah, we will know sooner. You know, in a not too long period of time, and then we just see what the the circuit does and how quickly it does it. Right. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate My it. My pleasure. Thank All you. Right. Have a great afternoon. Enjoy. You thank too. your listeners. Bye. So that was Jim Peretti with the law firm Littler Mendelssohn. And as I mentioned during the podcast, he was stepping in for another attorney at fairly short notice. And I really appreciated him doing that. So I'm going to leave, as always, some links under the audio portion of this episode, one to his bio, as well as the link to the law firm. And in addition to that, I'm going to leave the press release from the National Labor Relations Board on the Atlanta Opera case, and as well, the actual decision itself. So if you have any questions or just want to reach out, you can reach out on Twitter at Workplace Report. That's at Workplace RPT. Give us a call at 1-888-668-6466 or leave a comment under the audio portion of this episode of Labor Relations Radio. I'm your host, Peter List. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend. You have been listening to Labor Relations Radio. Hey, Labor Relations Radio listeners, this is just a quick reminder. If you enjoy Labor Relations Radio, make sure you share these episodes with your colleagues and make sure you and your colleagues visit laborunionnews.com and subscribe to our News Digest.